0: I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky. This week I sat down and chatted with Nahanda Truscott Reed who is a holistic wellness coach for women. She has an incredibly inspiring story. She was raised by a single mother on an estate in Brixton in South London and she said that everywhere she looked she saw motherhood seemed to be linked with pain sacrifice and struggle and through some really interesting and inspiring inner work she has reprogrammed her ideas about motherhood and how she shows up as a mother today and her life's work, as she says, is to help other mothers do the same. So, this is a really wide ranging conversation. We start off talking about her struggles to conceive and how she reframed that and what she did to naturally conceive her daughter. We talk about values and how important values are in parenting and how they can change when we become parents. We talk about conscious parenting. And in a lot of ways, this episode leaps off from the episode that Dr. To Shafali, to safari which i know many of you loved we talk about the parent that we thought we'd be versus the parents that we actually are and what to do with that gap and disconnect and we talk about control and how to handle the lack of control that we have as parents and i don't mean sort of behavioral control but really controlling who our children are, that we can't do that, that they come to us as they are. And I loved Nahanda's insights on that. So I hope you really loved this episode. Nahanda is a beautiful energy. She came to my home and I really enjoyed having her sit with me. We sat for a while, a couple of hours and recorded the episode. And the thing that I really took away from this one is that how we are is how we will parent. So really, the greatest gift that we can give our children is to work on our own stuff, to work on our triggers, to work on our pain, to work on our stress and our anxiety, because showing up in the best way that we can is what's really going to impact our children and how they are so i hope you really enjoy the episode if you did please do share it if you're listening and you're thinking about a friend or someone that you know might really really benefit from the episode please just share the link it's incredibly easy on itunes you just copy the link pop it into whatsapp or an email and help me to get this amazing content that we produce far and wide here is this week's episode so welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. I've been listening for years and so it's a real privilege and honor to be here. So oh thank you that's for inviting so me.
0: nice to hear. <laughs> so we are going to chat about motherhood as mm. an awakening. First of all I want to know a little bit about mm-hmm. you. So what's your story? How have you wound up sat on my sofa <laughs> <laughs> <Interesting> <laughs> on this podcast? So I guess it depends
1: on how far back we want to go but I kind of think of my awakening starting with my intentional conception. So actually struggling to conceive, having been married, expecting that I would just conceive very quickly and realizing that that didn't happen in the way that I expected in the time frame that I expected. And yet there were loads of people around me just getting pregnant and it just felt like a massive contrast when I was in this stable, loving relationship. I was healthy, I was young and I was like, I'm going to need to do a lot more deeper work. So that was the beginning
0: of the intentional awakening. So that's interesting, because a lot of people, when they can't get pregnant, their first response isn't, I need to do some deeper work. Mm. Where did that come from? So I've always felt
1: that our responsibility is to do the kind of self-inquiry and I think that just came from being brought up in a home where my mum was very much into self-development. She had a lot of key books that were just available Ooh, like to what? me. So she had a lot of ian Van Zandt, tuned into Oprah Winfrey, Michael Beckwith. Mm-hmm. There were just lots of resources around that kind of made that very normal for me. This kind of radical responsibility like so lucky and it's interesting because when I was actually growing up I used to reject it she would kind of always like throw in like words of advice when I was going through things like you know in the teenage years and she would be kind of like a coach to my friends but for me I'd be like mom no like I've got it just like leave me and so I was very resistant to it when I was actually growing up but this was one of the first times that I felt like actually this makes sense like there's something happening in my body or not happening in my body that I have an opportunity to dive deeper into and really come into more of an alignment because I feel like where people look externally for something to be the solution it's like let's just start within ourselves first. Let's ask the questions. Let's ask what we might be resisting or where there might be some fear or where there might be some blockages that we're not kind of consciously aware of in our day to day. And so it kind of began this deep reflection and introspection and deep partner work as well. Like both of us just working out What are we holding on to? What can we let go of? What do we need to align with more? What are our vision? What is our intention? What kind of parents do we want to be? And all of that work culminated in the natural, successful conception of my daughter.
0: So where did you start? You're struggling to conceive and you're feeling, you've already said, out of alignment. Mm. Did you go and see someone? I did alone. Did you pick up a journal? Did you pick up a book? Because I think people listening... We talk about this so much on the podcast. Yeah. Like I say it all the time do the inner work, do the inner work. And I get lots of messages from people saying, where what does do that I mean? start? What does it mean? And I, get I know that. it's different for everyone, but it's always helpful for people to hear. For me, it was getting in touch with my womb
1: because I've realized that apart from your menstrual cycle, of which I wasn't actually having a real one because I was on contraception for 10 years. I was out of touch with my actual cycle. And so that's where I began. I was like, let me come into alignment with what my cycle is actually showing me and feel into it, actually- What was it showing you? Sink into it. So actually, instead of just measuring the bleed, kind of tuning into the arc of emotion that was around it, and actually coming back to how I felt when I first came on my period. You know, what suppressed ideas did I have there that were underlying around my own body and my own womb being dirty or shameful or, you know, sex being something that was shameful or dirty and all of these kinds of ingrained but very deeply held beliefs I felt like I was holding on to in my body. And so I had to heal those and every time my period came I welcomed it rather than dreading it obviously when you're trying to conceive it's like a failure when you come and you'll bleed and instead I was like I embrace this I accept it I surrender like it was just a letting go of the efforting that I felt like I was trying to achieve it was just like another thing that I was trying to tick off my list it's like I've got married I bought my house now the baby comes and it didn't happen in that way so it needed a completely different approach and I think that's The feminine aspect that most of us are missing out of in this society, which is very masculine-driven, ego-driven. And it took this softening into like, where are the vulnerabilities that I'm holding on to? What is the fear that I'm holding on to about motherhood? Is there anything that I'm worried about that could energetically be blocking me right now from what I say that I consciously want? And so that was the beginning. And then there was the self inquiry through journaling. And then I used yoga. I was practicing yogini, still am. And so I kind of used my yoga practice as an intentional opening. So every time we'd get into like a asana pose, which was like something that you might tighten into or stress against, I would be instead like, where can I soften? Where can I allow? Where can I call in? Where can I open? And so everything became really intentional, the way that I was eating, the way that I was moving, the way that I connected with my partner. It was like if I believe that my child is waiting for me, how can I show in action in every moment that I'm ready? And it was that conscious, intentional living that I believe called her in and said, yes, we're ready for you.
0: And now you help other women. Yeah. And how long did it take you? First of all, because I know people will be thinking, well, was that five years of work? One must of work? It was a year and a
1: couple of months. Okay. So... For me, it isn't long in terms of medical times when people would tend to kind of seek for intervention. And I knew I didn't want to go down the medical route. For me personally, I feel like traditional Western medicine is very good at diagnoses, but it is based on a fear model. And so it can lead us into more fear, which then makes us even less aligned and less able, I feel, to really open to what it is that we're calling in in certain circumstances. I have to caveat that. So for me, I knew I didn't want to go down that route. It wasn't really an option. So the beginning was, what can I do for myself first? And then if that didn't work, I was prepared to kind of go to some other healers or some other coaches or some other kind of alternative therapists. I knew about reflexology and acupuncture and those kinds of things were on my radar, but it actually worked out that we naturally conceived anyway.
0: And so when you help other women... Mm. Who are, we're going to talk about all the ways that you have with them, but let's start here. Yeah. What are some of the things that you've mentioned? Fear, mm. you've mentioned beliefs, you've mentioned disconnection from our body. What are some of the things that you see time and time again with the women that you are helping come into consciousness? Mm.
1: By the time that women have sought help, they're at a state of desperation. And so I see my first role as bringing them away from that and into a space of kind of safety and security and ease because there's normally a lot of anxiety
0: because I you know I've so gratefully never had a struggle to conceive Mm. we had two miscarriages between our two daughters but we've never struggled to conceive Mm. but I can imagine through friends where you want something more than you've ever Mm. wanted anything in your life before and it's not It's not happening. happening. How do you move someone from that place, which I know the majority of women who struggle to conceive find themselves in, into a place of ease, as you say? Mm. How do you actually... So I
1: do it differently for different people, depending on what I feel is the main source of the resistance. So the first thing that I do is have that deep inquiry as to, like, what am I hearing that's being said? What am I hearing that's not being said? What are they displaying in their body language maybe hearing a little bit about their upbringing, their background, and the story that's brought them to that point. And often I find that women are going through a tick list of actions. Like I've done this, I've got the app, I'm measuring my cycle, I'm doing this, I'm having sex X amount, number of times per month. It's all kind of like action oriented. And I'm like, let's just pause. How would it feel to not be trying right now? How would it feel to just come back to a space of equilibrium?
0: And that word trying is interesting, interesting, isn't it? Exactly.
1: And I feel like it in and of itself puts women on the back foot, in a place of disempowerment. It's this kind of just like
0: trying to do something. Exactly. That
1: you can't do, exactly. you can do it. Exactly. And actually I believe that a kind of full health is our default. And it's normally things that have got layered on top of ourselves that have become the blocks.
0: And will people come to you who've had medical diagnoses of reasons why they're not... So I have able to had, see. but that's not who I'm
1: necessarily targeting. I right. have had women who have had two rounds of IVF, have been told that they're not going to conceive and they have conceived through working in this way which wow. is you know that's I it, powerful it is and it's also n- not surprising to me because yes, you're me. you know I feel like there's just a disconnect to your own power to your own wisdom your own bodily intelligence that I try to reframe and instead of thinking like what's wrong with me what's not happening what's wrong with my partner I just bring it back to like what actually feels good right now like how can we come back to a space of peace and wholeness and from that place start to call in rather than reaching out and what
0: I guess you're not saying is that this is like a magic it isn't and this is gonna work because that would be too blunt right because yeah. there are some people who I've got a dear 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 friend who actually could not conceive she went on to adopt a 10 year old it's an incredible story so, in a way, she conceived in a different way yes exactly she this amazing girl but I guess what you're saying is it's always worth doing this in a work
1: exactly exactly and part of the work is coming to peace with whatever the outcome is it's not that okay there's a promised pregnancy by the end of it it's that you come back into a space of wholeness and self-acceptance and self-love and from that place you have the clarity of vision to say actually I would consider adoption or fostering or actually maybe I don't actually really want children. It's so interesting because
0: sometimes I feel um, nervous having these types of conversations because when I had two miscarriages people would say to me how do you feel and I genuinely like not saying it to sound like I've got this amazing spiritual peace but I genuinely felt peace around it. I grieved. Mm. I felt like that wasn't the baby Mm. for us Mm. there was a real peace and I think that's
1: obviously testament to the amount of work that you've done in yourself and your awareness and your perspective on the world of realizing I guess
0: I have more trust these days than fear Mm.
1: to me that's the most powerful place to live from that place of like okay what can I gain from this not what have I lost not what is missing not what am I lacking but what have I got an opportunity to gain? Well, someone to get said to me,
0: me, after the first miscarriage. I went to see Henrietta Norton, who's been on the podcast. Right. She's actually a nutritional therapist, but she's way more than that. And she said to me, is there space in your life right now for a baby? Exactly. And my instant answer was no, because every minute I was working, I was with Jessie, or I was doing a podcast, That's or exactly. I was doing something else, or planning something else, exactly. or boom, 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 boom. And she said, I'm not going to prescribe you anything. Your diet's great. She said... Just make space. And that's what I did. And then we can see, bros.
1: Yeah, I think that's so paramount because what I see is often that women haven't even had any space to rest. Like there's an overdrive, an overstriving, and a sense of continuously reaching for the next thing. And so my approach is to kind of slow everything down and just clear some of that noise, some of that static on a mental, spiritual, and emotional level to get clear and intentional about how am I going to show up. And
0: what I think in is interesting stage. about what you're saying and my experience of motherhood is that it is such an opportunity for an awakening. Definitely. Because I think it's the one thing in life, well actually there are many many things in life we can't control, actually there's nothing in life we can <laughs> but, but for many mothers it's the first thing that they experience is exactly out of their control you don't know the type of baby that you're gonna get you don't know if you're gonna be able to breastfeed you don't know how the baby's gonna sleep they won't go on the bloody sleep schedule that Gina Ford said they should be on it's the first time that women feel that disruption it kind of breaks the
1: everyday uh, approach that we've been having to our lives and normally the modern western life is just kind of all go 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 yeah control exactly so
0: how because how, I know that surrender for me is the daily practice because mm. my my core wants to control to feel safe exactly yeah are you the same yeah I feel like it's a conditioned
1: response that we've been trained to have yeah control control yeah. control which is why interesting just before we started recording we were talking about homeschooling versus mainstream schooling and that's one of the things that I'm so super aware of is that all of our institutions are training us to be in controlled situations and kind of suppress our natural responses to things, suppress our emotions, wear these masks, armor up to soldier through. And that doesn't really serve us as people and definitely not as women and definitely not as mothers. So I feel like the more that we can do to disrupt that and motherhood in and of itself does that for us, but the more we can do to consciously support that disruption and be like, okay, can I get comfortable with this chaos? Can I get comfortable with the unknown? Can I release my need to hold on to every single thing in my life and manage that? That's when I feel like we can actually step into ease and, you know, natural unfolding. And that's when magic happens, in my opinion.
0: Totally. And there's so much around motherhood. I mean, there's nothing that I can really control about my daughter's there's nothing. I and we can... still try. I still try. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it is... So like... Jessie, at the moment, I've talked about this podcast a few times because I find it so hilarious, is that, you know, she didn't really wear pink, because I didn't want a girl that wore pink. So I right? had my control. Yeah. Guess what? Her absolute favourite colour is pink. And yeah. she only wants to wear <laughs> head-to-toe cheap, literally <laughs> pink clothes. Typical. And I just noticed, typical, right? Yeah. Because I think life's given me the lesson. Definitely. Like, you think that you can mold this person Mm. how arrogant is that exactly like she is a fully formed soul like she is here she is her yeah and yet i think that i have a right to tell her she's only allowed to wear gray neutrals
1: (laughs) (laughs) also in that example i just find it so it demonstrates how children come to rock our boats as well it's like you know by the time that we've arrived at perhaps consciously conceiving and having a child, we've arrived with this kind of set of beliefs of how we're going to do things better or differently or more consciously. And then our kids challenge that by actually being like, "Mm, really? You know, like I was very strong on like the whole gentle parenting thing. And that's really been tested to the limit because we've had to really work with the child that came and not the child that we thought we would have or that we planned to have
0: it's so true but, but the there's, things, that we there's a thing on have. instagram that says i was a great parent until i became a parent yeah exactly and so true exactly isn't like i said Jessie's never having sugar she has quite a lot of sugar. <laughs> she's never watching tv
1: she watches quite a lot of tv yeah and we have to forgive ourselves through those things as well because one it's a sense of surrendering like we've been speaking about to the fact that the realities of having a child in the modern western world are that some of these things are going to be inevitable and at the same time what things are really strong for us like fundamental values that we will put the effort in to continue to uphold like we're vegan and that's been a conversation that even now my daughter's four she's like I don't know if I want to be vegan because I never have the gingerbread cookies or the chocolate cakes and so She's obviously interacting with the world in a way where that is perceived as a limitation. And so for me, it's like always coming back to, well, this is why we do it. And this is why we're wanting to present this option to you. And if she
0: really didn't want to be vegan.
1: I think she would have to be at an age and stage that she could shop and cook for herself because I'm not going to cook meat. But if she insisted on eating meat, I would be really interested in hearing her conversation around why. And if she can't articulate that, then it's not a good enough reason. So at this time, it's more just follow fashion. Like, I just don't want to miss out on what everybody else is doing. That's not a good enough reason, in my opinion. So we have more conversations. So it's probably slightly coercive and less less free-spirited than I would like. But that's kind of the framework that I grew up with I grew up in a vegan home my dad was Rasta there was a particular way of looking at the world that not many of my friends shared and that I've really come to value and rely on now that I'm an adult navigating this world and so at the time I didn't appreciate it but now I really really do and I believe that will be the case for her too and so there's some things that I do not let up on if that makes sense
0: yeah Mm. yeah ours is kindness Mm. Like, if Jessie, if I see her being unkind mm. to herself or another, I really, we have big conversations mm. about that. Mm. That's, like, one of our really core, cool core values. Core things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I let go of the TV and the, you know, and a bit of sugar, and because I'm like, these are the things that are really important. Yeah. Really important to us. I'm interested, though, because you talked about coming to rock our boats mm. and this is what well, you know my favorite parenting teacher shefali safari who's been on the podcast oh yes um who wrote the conscious parent this oh is, shefali this, savory yeah. yeah yeah this is what she says is that our children come to show us where we're not healed where we're not whole definitely Tell us your experience because like, i know this is something that you talk and teach a lot
1: yeah so for me i'm like The triggers, I welcome them because they are shortcuts to understanding what needs further work. Yes. If you'd healed it and done
0: all the work and it was all good, it wouldn't be a trigger. Okay, let's slow that down to a great because I think this is so fundamental. So the triggers, when we're triggered, what might that look like? So it's the visceral reaction that you feel in your body when
1: your child has said something or done something that in your worldview is not right. It's not what she should be doing or he or she should be doing or in the ways that you would want them to do it. And they do it and they display this behavior and you feel super anxious, angry, frustrated, unable
0: to calm down or talk through it. You just feel an emotional that's overwhelm that's being triggered, and so that's the trigger. normal parenting. And I'm doing the funny finger thing. you can't see normal <laughs> parenting in that situation would tell us to control the child, yes. punish the child. Yes, conscious parenting tells us to look at
1: why you're being triggered. Yeah, that's the invitation that I hold to myself Give and that an I speak through. You've
0: had with your probably oh, actually, both. Yeah, so yeah, so, so my sons be... too.
1: So my son is at the stage where he's pushing scratching you know just trying to make himself known and so when my daughter is reacting to that she loses her mind like she shouts she really displays this kind of like massive temper she storms out and i was like where is this anger coming from right i felt like there was this rage that was triggering me to almost have the same reaction to her to bring her reaction down. So you're going into your child. Yeah, it made me like, hang on a second, you cannot shout like that at him. I'll shout like that at you. But obviously that was the moment where I had to like switch and be like, wow, there's rage within me that I haven't addressed and that I don't know how to process. And so I need to really develop the tools within myself to have a foundation where that's not triggering me seeing that I can let it play out as long as she's safe and he's safe. And we can talk about it in a way where I can actually give her some tools. So now I say to her, like, when you feel like that, what is it that you're experiencing? What can I do to help you? Can you take a breath? Do you need to leave the room? Do you want me to hold you? Like, we talk about it outside of the moment and so that so I know important.
0: how to show up the next time. Because you can only do that. And I know this because I've been through a very similar journey with Jess's big feelings, is that I can only do that. And we can only do that when we're in our adult when we're not triggered into that childlike place, exactly, which is like trying to shut down that feeling. I talked to Gabriel Mateo on the podcast. Oh, I loved that episode. Do you remember he like therapized me? And it was, like, it was a bit, what a it was what a blessing, funny. though. I'd be therapized by him any day. Quite vulnerable and <laughs> like, but a beautiful 50, conversation. <laughs> but it's when her big feelings were coming up. I found it so triggering. I couldn't handle, you know. And after that episode. I went and I did quite a lot of work around, you know, I didn't see big feelings in my house growing up. Mm. I didn't know what to do with them. And what was done to me unconsciously was distraction. They're there, shut them down. Mm. You know, so I was doing exactly the same thing. Mm. So rather than try and shut Jesse's big feelings down, what I did, which is what you're saying, Mm. is went and looked at how do I handle my own big feelings? Exactly. What happened to feelings growing up? And now, I mean, I'm so far away from perfect at it, but I can let her have her feelings and it mm. genuinely isn't triggering me in the mm. same way. Mm. So that's breaking the cycle. Exactly. And I believe that is
1: so important because a lot of the times we are parenting out of the ways that we've been parented. Of and there what is, else, how, what else? How else do we know how, how else to do, do, it? We do it? And so that's where we begin. And yet there is this opportunity to see how that's playing out. And when it's not working, we have the opportunity to stop and pause and be like what could be better in this situation? How could I do this differently?
0: You know what a lot of people say to me is that, like, Zoe, I get the theory. I get what you're saying. It's pretty obvious. We can only parent in the way that we've been taught. How do we know what we don't know? Right. People get that. They say, I can see I'm triggered. I'm really triggered. I can get a sense that I feel quite childlike when my kid doesn't do exactly what I want Mm, them to do. mm. But they say, I have no time how am I supposed to I can't afford a therapist I can't afford a coach I'd Mm. love to come and see someone how do you help women that place or how do we create the space Mm. to do this because we have to create the space definitely I feel
1: like the slowing down and the actually like reprioritizing our lives is the most important thing that we can do. So when I'm working with women who feel super fatigued or just haven't felt, you know, whole and energized since having kids and I'm trying to bring them into a space of wholeness and alignment, I really look at the activities that they're doing and whether they're energy givers or energy takers And I put that lens of energy on your interactions, on the things that you're eating, on the ways that you're moving, on the thoughts that you're thinking, the ways that you're feeling. And I challenge them to say, is this something that's giving you energy or draining energy? And when you look through your list, I don't know about you, but I know for me, there is quite a few things that I could quite happily let go of and be even more happy without them, right? You know, scrolling through Instagram being one of them. And so it's realising that even though we have this illusion of not having time, there is time being spent doing things that are draining our energy. And when we can step into that and remove those things and do more of the things that give us energy or make time for the things that give us energy, then we're going to start to create more of a,
0: a balance make time all for the around. Things that are really important. Because I think short-term doing this in the work isn't always energy giving. Sometimes mm. I think it can be hard it's really hard it is but it's important and I think it's such a good point is that we say there's not time like some people will and this is met with love but I will get very 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 long emails Mm. like that probably took a couple of hours to write Mm. to me of people saying why they don't have time to do the I'm like that's really interesting because, because you would, have, you could have just taken that yeah. time and, and used it
1: in an efficient way. But yeah. it's coming back to what your deepest values are. And so I always encourage women to have a, a vision for the mother that they want to be. And almost like a manifesto, like the way that you would write vows for a wedding. What are your vows as a parent? Who are you committed to showing up as? What are you committed to healing? Yeah. And instead of seeing it as what do I need to do to or for my child, I always bring it back to like start with yourself. Do the inner work because if you can go deeper into the self love and into the enoughness and into the self worth, the parent that you're going to be and show up as, the partner that you're going to be and show up as, is going to be completely different.
0: This is, this is so aligned to mother kind, which is, I guess why you're here. Yeah, because <laughs> because, because I say you know stop reading parenting books
1: really I stopped I literally I bought so many with my first I threw them all out by my second because
0: really how we parent is how we are exactly so if you're full of fear and you're stressed and you're anxious you're going to parent from that place you cannot parent any other way than how you are and Mm. as I was reading these parenting books when I was first a parent was already into this world in recovery, and and I thought, why are they not talking about the state the mother or the father's in? This is exactly I was like, how it. are they saying? Just say hold a boundary. I was like, hang on a minute. If you've never been taught how to hold a boundary exactly with yourself or another, why? Are these books instantly thinking that you're going to be able to do it with a child? Definitely. Arguably the biggest trigger that you're ever going to have in your life. And
1: that's why I love your work, because I feel like there is so much attention, especially when our children are young, on the child, on the baby, on what they need, on how we should be feeding them, what they should be wearing, you know, their routines. And we can spend so much time and energy getting caught up in those, what I think are still quite surface and external things. And we're not really checking in on how are we feeling, Do we feel like we've recovered from birth? Where is our energy? Have we eaten properly? Just basic level things. It's like we just dropped straight to the bottom of the pile and all of a sudden our priorities are shifted in a way that we feel is for the child and for the best interest of the child, but not realizing that if we can bring it back to ourselves and give ourselves the space and the permission to really do that self-inquiry, that self-exploration and that healing work, that we will show up like so much more full for our child. And they will see just by the way that we're living, not just what we're doing and how we're parenting, but just by how we're being, that they are safe and secure and able to work through their stuff. And that's so
0: important because I'm super conscious, like Jessie and all children, she is learning about what it means to be a woman, and a mother by watching me. Exactly. She's not even listening to the words I say. No. She's just watching me. Do I get stressed? What happens when Guy and I are having a little bicker at each other? Exactly. How do we repair that? She's watching. Exactly. She maybe Paw Patrol may be on, but she No, is. they're soaking that up. Is, she is soaking that up. And, you know, I talk about this so much. You know, my mother said all the right things. Right. Because she'd read the books, right? But in her heart and in her soul, mm. she was a very, she had a lot of unresolved trauma through mm. no fault of her own. She mm. hadn't had the opportunity to do any inner work. Like, that's what I became. I became a traumatised child, teen, mm. 20s, acting out all over the place. Mm. This is where the passion comes from for me, from what you're saying. No, and it's the same for me. And I
1: feel like that sometimes goes even deeper than our mothers. Oh, yeah. I feel like, you know, ancestrally, we're unconsciously sometimes carrying the burden of trials and tribulations that have happened through our mother line. And so our mother may have not even been conscious as to where she inhabited those things from. Absolutely. And so for us to kind of break the cycle is to take that space and to make that time and to prioritise it and really look backwards and be like, okay, and what were the circumstances and conditions that led to her parenting me the way that she did or having the relationship that she did with my father and examining that from a place of love and compassion and non-judgement and arriving at some answers which hopefully give you more capacity to make different choices. And that's what I believe is our work as parents. I
0: just totally and utterly utterly. agree with Mm -hmm. you. And I wonder why... Why do you think, I mean you touched on it around the the patriarch and the society that we're in, but why do you think this is still a relatively niche conversation? Why do you think this hasn't become like the way that we talk about mothers and mothering and parenting? Because it's not commercialisable really it doesn't it it doesn't
1: I mean I hope it does one day because I would like to write it (laughs) I think it doesn't fit the kind of mainstream goal-oriented results-oriented tangible consumerist agenda that a lot of us been sucked into and duped into and have been fed
0: and constantly conditions to believe is what's there's important there's a lot of fear isn't there it's very fear based exactly is what i notice even in like Jessie's nursery i notice some of the other mums having some fear around the fact that their child isn't hitting the milestone or It continues all the way throughout. And that's where
1: I feel like if we can begin with this foundation, and I don't think it's ever too late, obviously I'm speaking from a place of having quite young children, but I feel like at any stage you can take that stance for yourself and really come back to a space of how do I want to be? How do I want to show up? What healing needs to happen for me and my partner? And then see what the trickle effect is for your child. But I feel like it's that space of realizing that Beyond everything, in terms of the kind of external achievements, what for me is most important and integral is my own health, well-being on all levels. And that feeling of wholeness is what I'm constantly opening to. And so those other things don't matter in the grand scheme of things. And they will come if we're prioritising, I believe, our own sense of self-worth and our own sense of self-love and wholeness and completion in the world. And
0: so, yeah, because how are our children supposed to know what esteem and self-love looks like if they don't learn it from someone? Exactly. How are they supposed to know? You no, know, they don't teach it at school. It's not in the curriculum. It's certainly you know nowhere that I see. They're, and we're the people closest to them. Although some people might be lucky enough to have extended. Family around, Mm. so how else are they going to learn it?
1: And it can be really simple ways. Like, one of the examples that I use is when I'm on my cycle, I don't overexert myself, especially like on the first day of my bleed. And I communicate, my daughter's only four, but I say to her, like, mummy's on her cycle. I'm going to be resting. If I'm with a hot water bottle on the sofa, this is why I'm not sick. I'm not ill, but I need time to rest because my body's doing some important work. And she asks, you know, oh, so does that mean that you're bleeding? Yes, it means that I'm bleeding. Like that probably wouldn't be a conversation that many mothers and daughters have. But I feel like there's an opportunity there to show her that I'm taking rest because my body needs it. And that's not a weakness, but it's an opportunity for me to soften and just rebalance. And so my husband would cook on that day or do the school run on that day. And so she knows that's the pattern. And so I hope that when she starts her cycle, she sees that as like a special and sacred time, not as something to be hidden or suppressed or or shamed away or, you know, and all of these things are just small ways that we can come back to our essence of like, who we are as women, you know, our actual power isn't be able to respect our rhythms and our ebbs and flows. We're not supposed to be productive, like, 24-7 all the way through the year. And so really kind of honouring those rhythms and her seeing me make those boundaries... Or saying to someone, no, I'm tired, I'm not going to come out. And then I'll tell her, I'm not going out because I'm tired. And so I really hope that those are the things that through conscious and unconscious observing, she starts to take into her own psyche and awareness. Because
0: it's a small thing, but it's a huge thing. Because I think what you're really telling her is I'm important. Exactly. And what she's going to learn is I'm important. And I honour how I feel. Yeah, she's gonna. She's gonna learn exactly. So mummy thinks that she's important. So I must also be important because the disconnect that I see a lot is mothers rushing, pushing, not stopping, not treating themselves as important, and yet telling their children important. And I think that's really confusing. It is. It's a contradiction. Yeah. And And then they're like, "Well, I don't trust you." Exactly. Because you're telling me I'm important. May my feelings matter? You're saying the right words. But what I'm seeing is I never see you feel a feeling. Mm. I never see
1: you resting. Mm. And I had that growing up as well. You know, I mentioned that earlier that my mum had all of these kind of self-care, self-development books. And she would speak a lot of the words. And I knew that she was still working through a lot of her own trauma, her own issues. And it did make it harder for me to hear the truth of the knowledge because I was like, how's that working out? It doesn't look like how it should be and so I really feel like committing to that in a way where it's like how can I apply in a way that really honours me. Do you think it's better not to say the words and just, just to be? I think being is the most important thing and being able to articulate why you do something or why you don't do something can anchor that for them especially in an age-appropriate way where they start to kind of make those links as they get old obviously they're going to come to whatever conclusions they're going to come to anyway but I think at this formative stage we have an opportunity to explain as well as live and be but it's our tune in in to, to that. the best of our ability we're not going
0: to do this perfectly
1: exactly And I apologise, you know, there's lots of times... I (laughs) apologise all the time to Jessie. And I say, I don't know, you know, there's times where she asks me things. She's very interested in death at the moment. We had a close friend of ours pass away. We went to her funeral. Thank you. And we spoke about what happens when we die and what do you think happens? And, And she said, well, what does happen? And I said, I don't know, but what I believe is. And she was like, well, does it make you sad? And, you know, we have these conversations where... I am comfortable in the fact that I don't have all the answers. Whereas before I had children, I thought my job was to get all the answers so that I can answer these questions with certainty for them. And isn't that a lot of pressure? It's so much pressure. And it's impossible because they're always going to have questions and we still have questions that are unanswered. But what I think a lot of people do is they stop asking they just accept the answer that's been given and they stop the inquiry and then that's what stops the evolution in my opinion yeah because so
0: I, you're so right we just get to a point of like actually And my husband yeah, yeah my husband guy is like you know we talked about that i was saying that value of kindness his other big one is curiosity definitely so whenever jesse asks a question the first thing we say is thanks for the question or well done for asking the question oh, i love that because I think when I remember asking lots of questions, and it was a bit like, stop questioning, yeah. be- just because, just because, just because, and I get that right. When yeah, we're just tired and, yeah. and tired, it's yeah. like, oh, just because it is, yeah, jump up, yeah. Whereas to the best of our ability, we try to say, Great question, yeah, what do you think? That's always my first yeah. response, line. yeah, because often. She'll answer her own questions Exactly. And then I'm like, off the hook anyway. (laughs) And and I love their answers because sometimes their answers
1: are like so spot on that there's literally nothing left for me to say. Tell us about, because
0: you asked your daughter recently how you could be a better parent to her.
1: Yeah. So she said, you need to spend more time with spirit and more time in nature. Wow. And I was literally like, I felt like something spoke through her. Yes. In that moment. Yes. It literally gave me shivers because... That's exactly what I need to do, and have been thinking that so I you need to like do. <laughs> an inbuilt coach. Trust me, be. I believe that there are gurus anyway, and I know everybody says that, but I really tune in to the things that she says because I, I really believe that. So I,
0: when I read that that you'd done that, I asked Jessie the same question. What did she say? It wasn't quite as profound, okay, but she, still helpful nonetheless. I'm sure. Well, let say? me tell you what happened. She said, "To be a better parent, you have to do everything." And then she said, and when I ask you to do something, I'd like you to do it straight away. Wow. And I was like laughing. I was like, oh, that's not what I wanted. And then I took it away and I thought, what is that about? And then I thought, you know, often when she asks me to do something, mummy, can you play with me? Mummy, can I have a drink? Mummy, can we go to the playground? I answer with, I'm just yeah yeah I'm just gonna put this in the dishwasher Same. yes 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 I'm just going to but then invariably I take my time yeah and you hope that they forget yes <laughs> and so I thought that's so interesting because to her she probably requests all these things and feels like they, ne- they don't it, come that, after yeah it, and, timely and so I was like period. really
1: interesting but also what I heard when she said that was is that a request that you've asked of her you know like go and get your coat Oh, doing I'm, I'm doing something. Yeah, I would actually like if you could do that now. Yeah. Like maybe she's kind of assimilating that value system of like now is better because that's what I'm being asked to do. And why
0: should you be asked to do something interesting, different? Interesting, because I'm conscious of that. And I often say to her, can you do this? And she'll say, I'm not ready. And I'll say to her, when will you be ready? Oh, interesting. And she'll normally say, well, this character just has to rescue this character and I'm like oh my god I basically asked her to abandon this whole <laughs> rescue setup that she had, she had been working on for like an hour now yeah so she'll finish the little game and then she'll say I'm ready now yeah amazing but she's not extending that same grace back <laughs> <laughs> Their perception of time
1: is just amazing in and of itself and I I always have to work with that because our conditioned response to time is not the natural response to time and break that down so like we've been conditioned to rush our way through because we feel like we have a limited amount of time to be productive and everything is kind of reliant on something else and normally we're tied into systems that really rely on us to show up and be there at a particular time like school like school or work or appointments or whatever and you know the whole society is running on that time we kind of need that though yes to an extent But it's to the detriment, that's the word I was looking for, of our own rhythm, our own time, like our own body clock, our own sleep cycle, our own energy flow. And so I feel like if we can challenge that and disrupt that for a minute, children are in their own element. They're in their flow. They know when they feel good. They know when they're tired. If we can support them to retain that, they'll be much more able as adults to tune in and be like, actually, I'm tired or actually I'm hungry. Whereas we don't respond to our actual bodily needs. We just condition our bodies into doing things because everybody's eating because it's 12 o'clock, it's lunchtime. But it's not necessarily what's right for you and your body and your life and your time. So I always am very conscious of how they perceive time and how I perceive time and the quickening that we Encourage them to have that actually we could be learning from them to slow down a bit more and to come back more into play and to come back more into presence and to realizing that yes the shopping and the cooking and all of these things need to happen but when is there space for presence Mm -hmm. and
0: it's so true I listened to this podcast I can't remember who it was and there was a mum saying that she was frustrated because she wanted to go on a meditation retreat and she had toddlers at home I've been there and and my guy's answer was just amazing he was like you don't need to go on a meditation retreat you have toddlers at home they will teach you Mm. everything you need to know about being in the moment and slowing down and you could almost like hear the pennies dropping from she was like yeah I mean it's so true isn't it like they are present Exactly. We are not. Exactly. And we seek
1: external parameters to enable us to get into a state. And it's like, how can we do that in our everyday life? How can we not depend on the yoga class or the meditation teacher or the... Because the, you can't get to that because, stuff
0: in your remote. Exactly.
1: and And hunt. actually, the quality of insight that you can get from coming down to their level, especially at that young stage, is going to be so different to what you get when you step outside of the home. I'm also saying that you do need some time away at times, but it's it's about about how you can be in the home and not be resisting it. One of the things that I always find women feel is like, you know, I've got some really important thing that needs to happen, but I have my kids and so there's this resistance to the mothering aspect. And I'm like, what if you saw them as your most important thing first and then the thing that you're doing as an extension? Like, let's just reverse it for a minute because if you've chosen to have children and you want to be a conscious and present parent, how can you adapt and balance that with them kind of being at the center and And that's what i try to to do this comes
0: back to values doesn't it because even if for financial reasons you're working full time Mm. it's like how important is it to also have an immaculate house can you let that go exactly so that your house is messy for a few years whatever yeah but you can still work full time and be present because what we're not talking about is that you're sitting 24 7. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Although I have been in that space as well.
1: Um, Me too. that's but yeah, not many people maybe that you have that option. Yeah, I hear that. And I think it is about noticing the windows that you do have. So, like, say you have the school run and the bedtime routine. How can you be as present and as full as possible in those moments so like one of the things i've started doing recently instead of listening to music in the car i'll keep it silent and i won't speak and i'll let her say oh, I've been thinking about this. Or, ah, oh, I've just noticed It's Like today we were driving to school and she said, I just noticed that God made, she said, God made the plants, but does God make the buildings? And I said, it depends on how you think about it. So we had like a really deep conversation about how Do she you know energy. A religious God? Are you God? you No, so we're not religious, but we use God as kind of the source. Okay. It's like an acronym for that. So she knows that that is like the creative energy that creates everything and what sustains us all. That's the kind of belief that we hold and we have brought her up to. But she had this distinction between what's man-made and what's natural. So she's just trying to work work it out. But she wouldn't have that if the radio was on and we were just in the hubbub of like just the routine. And so I tried to kind of just disrupt the routine every now and again in a way that leaves space for her to process
0: It's so hard not to rush, isn't it? I think something that really helped me is getting myself organized so that then I can give her space. Yeah. That's really helped me recently. Yeah, exactly. I make sure, like, I'm up a bit earlier i'm ready to go because when i'm trying to do yeah do it me all. and her and the breakfast it's just like a disaster yeah and, yeah. Then, and then i'm snapping and then i'm like not noticing exactly and am and a year of that we're going to be pretty disconnected exactly and my mornings don't look like zen and bliss like no. every no. every day <laughs> no mornings are like sure, <laughs> the most pressure point for um, every parent
1: to me i forewarn as well like i say Okay, I'm just going to do this, and while I'm doing this, you can do that. Because there's times we're sitting at the breakfast table, she wants to draw, and I'm like, it's really not the time. Mm -hmm. But I'll say, she always wants to draw. I'm like, it's okay because I can do something else while that's happening. But when I say this, or when you know your brother comes about with his coat, that's when we're going to need to go. And she's like, oh, okay. So there's like a parameter that she knows, like, okay, I have space and time until this happens. But that's one of the things that I've been really thinking about with my desire to homeschool, because where else do you get the capacity? Normally, a lot of that anxiety is being brought on because there is a time at which they have to be at school.
0: Yeah, and there's a slight... I'm not at that school stage yet, but I'm nervous a it already because... We're often late for nursery, mm. we're often the last one in, and it doesn't... And it causes anxiety it for often, no reason. Yeah, it doesn't bother me, and I sort of said to Jessie, and I've said to the teachers actually, I said, while well, I'm, you know, in this third trimester and we've got a young baby at home, I'm going to be late a bit, and yeah. they are like, totally cool, yeah. and... But I hear, I don't know if this is true, that when I get to the school where there can be some shaming around that you get in late points, you know, and I've got a lot of fear about that already. No. It's months away and I've got some fear.
1: This is a very present situation for us because even if we are late, I don't bring anxiety. I don't get her to, like, sprint. Like, I see parents yeah. being like, come on, we've got to, and I'm just like... It's not worth it. It's not worth her going into school in a space of anxiety. I would have done my best to allow us to be there in time. But if for any reason we're not, I don't bring that to her. And even times that I see her being like, "Oh, but are we late? Or is this gonna?" Yeah. And I'm like, "It's okay. Yeah, because you're going to arrive, and it's going to." And be this fine. is a really
0: fine line because I guess it's about not modelling boundaries don't matter right there's a time boundary there it's is it's not about saying it doesn't matter but I guess it's caring like I said to Jesse I've said to your teachers that while I'm struggling to get both of you out in the it's morning it's okay I might be like they yeah. said it's okay so exactly it's, like it's that it's you know nothing is ever black and white it's, it's a nuance exactly but I think I like what you're saying what we're saying which is around not bringing the anxiety of some mm. of And you can still be respectful and apologetic.
1: So the boundary exists, like you say, but your state doesn't have to be affected by that. So I encourage her to be like, you can still choose how you feel. I'm choosing not to feel stressed and anxious right now and not to take it out on you and not to go home and feel like I failed for the day. I'm choosing a different thought and so in that space i'm hoping that you have more opportunity to choose different thoughts when society is often just going on default and response mode you have space to
0: choose responding not reacting exactly which is i mean god if someone would have taught me that at four that i can have a you can can choose my response if someone would have taught me that you it know, changes fluid, or when I went through hard times, mm. or when, you know, anything happened If I'd have known, I get to choose how to respond to that, and things can happen, it doesn't have to ruin my day or, exactly. my, week or my year. Exactly. <laughs> I would have been really powerful. <laughs> it sets her in good stead and it's it's almost this
1: remothering I feel I don't know if you experience it in that way as well but I do go back to my own childhood often and think about what was said to me when I felt that way and actually how did that
0: land and what would I have wanted that's how I've done most of my healing yeah is what holes do I have holes with a h yeah um, (laughs) that for whatever reason my parents weren't able to give me how do Mm. I fill those in right in the hope that I then parent from a different place. That has been my, you know, practice. my last 12 years of life, really.
1: <laughs> and, and still is every day. That, to me, is the spiritual practice of motherhood. You know, like, sometimes women come to me because they want to do more spiritual work, you know, specific rituals or practices, and I do those things as well. But for me... The mothering in a present and conscious way is the spiritual it's work There's, spiritual. like that is the work so it, it's not something that needs to be layered on top of or done away from or retreated to it's a place that we can begin from it's the foundation and one of the realizations i came to recently as well is that we are spirit and this is why i feel like my daughter said that it's like we sometimes think about spirituality being something that we need to ascend to, or that, you know, once we've done the fasts and the, all of the stuff, we will get to this space of enlightenment quote-unquote and I feel like it always puts it out of reach and for me it's realizing that where we are right now we are spirits manifested in physical form and so how can we live into that in a way that we're honoring our spirit and we're honoring our present reality because that duality is the gift of what we're living in every day yeah and
0: I only need to look at Rose my three-month-old to see she is spirit exactly she's present she giggles she has no worries she, she's whole she's whole yeah and then that's it right exactly. and that's i'm not uh, constantly trying to get back to that place i'm trying to remove all those layers of crap exactly that you know my parents society school the bullies all put on me i'm, exactly, I'm trying yeah. to peel those back all the time to get to that place you that's know I, exactly, I think the same yeah. i think we spiritual beings having a human experience but we need the human experience to get us back to the place. If yeah. I wasn't triggered, like you said, yeah. I can't heal something that I'm not triggered by. Yeah, exactly. Because I don't know
1: it's there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's why we give thanks, because those give us the indications of where needs more work, or where needs more love, or where needs more space and focus. It took you know. a
0: long time to do that, to say thank you for the triggers. Mm. I can do it now, mm. I can do it now, it took me a long time, I was like no I don't want this to be happening <laughs> to me, I'm not thankful, <laughs> I want it to go away. And that is natural, that
1: aversion to anything that feels of painful. Course. why would I Why would you in? do that? Yeah exactly, And I also feel like sometimes, you know, when we talk about spirituality being something that it doesn't have to be harrowing. You know, I use the word trauma and people feel like it needs to be linked to tragedy or something that needs to have been like really horrific, either in your past or in your present. And I don't see it like that. I see it as anything that kind of disconnects you. From yourself, from your oneness, from your power—that's a trigger.
0: Like that's well, that's trauma. Yes, that, so that's, thats the the definition is emerging more and more in our field, isn't right. it? But that's what it is. And so, just using those as almost the breadcrumbs mm. to the journey to get you back know. to wholeness. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. Exactly. So I can't wait to hear your answer. What is the one gift that you would give to all mothers in the world, and why?
1: I think it's just always having the courage to keep asking, how can I show up in more love? How can I show up in more love for myself? Because that foundation is what's going to create opportunities for the most beautiful awakening.
0: Gorgeous. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. So that's it. Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, please do leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. If you were listening to that episode thinking about one of your friends and also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also, just to let you know about my coaching. So, I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme, which is a three-month program called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.